From the home offices of Ash and Flow, this is Unbillable Hours, a podcast about professional services marketing. Stick around and listen to our insights, tips, and best practices to improve your firm's marketing and even your career. And then I say, welcome to this episode of the Unbillable Hours podcast. Ash and Staffo, Staffo Tienpont from fullfunnel.io. Do I say the URL with the name, Staffo? Is that correct? Yes, we're not too strict on the brand guidelines. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so Fullfunnel is a consultancy, a B2B marketing consultancy that focuses on full funnel marketing. Maybe you can say something about that. And then also account-based marketing and you are a consultant in that firm. Is that correct, Savon? Yes, yes. We're a, team, a small team of consultants. We're very focused on go-to-market strategy, ABM and demand generation for high ACV, high ACV B2B businesses. So anything above yeah. 40K and really it's about, we really like to come in at the point where the, just the normal B2C marketing doesn't work anymore. So you can't read ClickFunnels or <laughs> and this kind of books anymore. And yeah, you, yeah. when that start, stuff doesn't work anymore, then you call us and we start to implement ABM and GTM. Which I think we'll, we'll get into the details, but the main thing here being obviously that the buying process probably is more, involves more people, it's longer, more complicated, right? And then it's not just putting out some Facebook ads and hoping for the best. But yeah. this is exactly why we invited you here because we wanted to discuss account-based marketing because, actually, I don't know if you agree, but it seems to be that there's sometimes there's, I'm not going to say misconceptions, but the phrase is thrown out around a lot, I'm guessing because it's a hot topic right now. And consulting firms do tend to have the account focus glasses on just because that's how they typically grow the business is, you know, land and expand, grow the client relationship. So they've always done account related stuff. Typically there's account planning going on that the, the team of consultants working on a particular client has a think about how they may help them up next year and so forth. So the specific activities of that sort, but then the account-based marketing, I've seen all versions. So as you mentioned that you have seen some programs, which were I think, okay, but I see a lot of, let's build an account wish list and target our LinkedIn ads against it, which that's yeah. probably not what's I mean, uh, that, Flo, right? we can literally <laughs> use your whole automotive ex, you know, example that you love throwing oh. about. That is literally the case in lots of places because what they essentially look is, here's an industry and here is a buyer and then they go for yeah. it. They don't look yeah. at like, how do you target specific things? There are some companies that do this well because technically on the business side, account-based business and selling is still really important. The marketing side of things is where it needs to connnect better. Yeah, well, maybe we can up our game a little bit. So, so stuff we wanted to ask you maybe, and don't feel obliged to give like a super dry definition, but the account-based marketing is you do it at fall funnel, like the, what's the modern sort of playbook or definition if you want to give mm -hmm. one, I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm a simple guy, so I like to keep it as <laughs> simple as possible. All right. So, so the way I like to think about ABM is it just marketing, but instead of focusing on your total addressable market, you're focusing on a very specific set of accounts. And just I think that the most common misconception is that people think it's about making a wish list, right? So you, they sit oh, down yeah. behind their little computer and they're like, 
looking at their desk, I have an Apple computer, you know what, I would like to do business with Apple. They write down Apple, <laughs> and then they're looking, oh, that guy has an Android, that looks like a Samsung, I'd love to do some business with Samsung. And then they write down Samsung, and now sales made a wish list, they send it over to marketing, and they're like, hey, please get me, get me in contact with Samsung and yeah. Apple. And that's how they like to think about ABM. And then on the other side of the spectrum, I think there's also a very, it's very common to have this really big focus on advertisement because for example, on LinkedIn, you can say, I want to advertise to this company and that company and yeah. put some workarounds. You can do this on Facebook as well. And then we're seeing these, for example, banner ads. I mean, if you do it really well, you will have company personalized ads. Those are, I think, pretty good, but people start to think like, oh, I'm just going to show these banner ads to the right company. And then yeah. somebody's going to click and download my ebook. And then they, they downloaded it and I'm like, ah, I got it. Now I'm doing ABM. And now I have the relationship with Apple, right? And now it's sales yes, job now, to, <laughs> to close it. <laughs> now, now I got it. Now it's in the book. Yeah. So, 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 but I always think uh, agon-based marketing, it's about, you know, you make a really good list and then you manage that list really well. And it sounds super simple, almost to the point that it sounds stupid. But so, so you make your list not based on a, just a wish, but on many important criteria. So, so I, I will, maybe we can go through like the steps that you want to go through when you're yeah, starting please. ABM later. Yeah, yeah, please go ahead. Or I, I can go there now immediately if you want. To finish my points, it's always very important that you start with a good list and then you return to the list. And every single week re, you review your list. So if you go through them and maybe there's only 10, 20, 30 companies on there. I think for a, a small team or a pilot team, that's really enough. And you just say per account, okay, account one, let's imagine for a second we're an ABM team. I say, okay, so Florian, you were responsible in this buying committee to deal with the business buyer, the, maybe somebody in finance or in marketing. How have you done with engaging with the marketing contacts? Oh, and you might say, yeah. oh, I managed to engage him on LinkedIn, invited him on our podcast, and he will he'll be on the podcast too. And then I'm like, okay, Ash, so in this, you're responsible for the technical buyer. Have you managed to make any relationship with any of the technical people at the account? And then you will say, oh, yes, I'm actually managed to engage him. I send him a comment on GitHub or whatever, right? And we just go and we'll just decide, okay, for this account, this will be the next step. Yeah. And then we move on to the next one, right? It sounds very much like what you would do in sales, because I think a lot of ABM is about teaching marketing to think more like sales yeah. and teaching sales to yeah. think more like marketing, but in, ad, in essence, if you just want to imagine what does an ABM marketer do day to day, it's that, right? You may, you look, go through your list and you decide what are we going to do with this account and what are we going to do with that account, and then you execute on that. And of course, there's a lot of strategic work that goes into making the list and about yeah. shaping a message that will be relevant to the list, as well as different kind of playbooks that you can use to warm up an account, which is about making them know, like, and trust you, or you could also see it as demand acceleration. And then you have the other ABM stages, such as activation, which is turning that warmed up account into a sales opportunity. And then we have expansion, getting referrals, and also maintaining the deal, extending the extension place as well. But I think if you start there, it's a really nice way of understanding ABM. And I like this because I think I don't want to piss people off by making this the note, but I would take the note here by what you just said. Even the thinking of who's the business buyer, who's the technical buyer. It is, I've seen consultancies doing it, or sometimes there are, I call them fake exercises where somebody sits on a PowerPoint and has a yeah. chart that has a table on it and says, okay, the CEO yeah. has this pain point. 
and the CFO has this pain point. So, uh, but that's just a slide, right? Uh, you whip that up. Uh-huh. It's not necessarily based on real insight. Same problem as many personas have. But so infusing yeah. that thinking and then maybe probably also getting the expertise behind it so that we're not just making assumptions but getting it right. I like that a lot because I don't know, stuff. I don't want to bore you with it, but Ash and I discussed to no end how consultancies are super susceptible to seeing their market through the lens of their organization. So we always make market? this joke. They, they see their market through the lens of the That's organization. So yeah. they're yeah. organized by industry verticals, right? Consultancy as an automotive practice as a financial services yeah. practice. So what's their market segment? Oh, the automotive industry. Like it's that level of yeah. Yeah. too broad, <laughs> a block yeah. of stuff. So and taking that all the way down to the level of even thinking about in that particular account who is the business and the technical buyer, that's already a good, yeah, like you said, a very good exercise because that's not and, happening a lot, I think. But the really nice thing about consultancies is that you actually have a lot of client contact. So the customers that you have, yes. you yeah. know them yeah. really well. You know, you might, yeah. it depends on, I used to work in a different kind of consultancy as well. So, so you might have drinks with them on a Friday if it's a really intensive in-person project. You will for sure have many meetings with them every week and you get this, you know, really strong sense of what are these people like, what kind of questions do they have, where do I feel that they're misinformed, you get this really strong sense and that's super nice about being in consultancy, but then that information needs to get to marketing as well, because usually you will have a separate marketing division from the consulting, from whoever doing the consulting work. So it's like, there's so much value there in terms of customer insights that you can collect if it gets to, if it gets to marketing, right? And, and you, for some people, this might sound like very obvious, or it might sound like that's not so much of a problem. And if you think that it's probably because you're in consulting and not in marketing, <laughs> because the, the, that information doesn't usually reach marketing at all. Yeah, it and, doesn't. Yeah, the marketing it doesn't. team is over here planning the next yeah. five reasons why you should do digital transformation blog post yeah. of questionable yeah. relevance. Sorry, I'm no, it's, it's completely make- true. <laughs> uh, we, yeah, exactly. yeah, we basically advocated for why marketing needs to sit at the table and actually listen in on this conversation, these kinds of conversations. They basically just go ahead and create some random stuff that's completely disjoint from the reality which happens more often but, than we'd like to admit yeah. yeah but i mean so so that i love the point about the listen about the thinking of the, uh, of the personas but maybe you touched upon the it's very similar to what how a sales team would plan or coordinate yeah. right the engagement but the actual activities are different right you mentioned playbooks i've seen some of the stuff full funnel has like complete yeah. templates out there how to create actual marketing programs around the logic. Do you want to touch a little bit about around that? What's some stuff you can do as a marketing team then once the list is clear and the accountabilities are assigned? Yeah. So, so I think it's easier for me to give you a little bit of a roundabout answer to start at the beginning. Okay. Um, fair enough. It's just easier for, from a storytelling perspective, but so, but maybe one important notice what we, what we advise is to move away from separate marketing and sales teams and yeah. to move into ABM teams. And then usually one ABM team will be focused on one horizontal or one vertical. And so the activities are, will be spread out within that team and the, the responsibilities will be spread out within the team. And you could look at them and say, ah, oh, this is a typical marketing activity and this is typical sales activity, but it might be that the marketing the, the one that comes originally from a marketing background is now doing the more sales type activities mm. and that the salesperson is doing the more marketing type of activities. For example, I'm just writing the market research to the state of full funnel now. 
and I was, so it's a friend of mine. So the last thing I was talking was one of the things I was writing about is that sales is usually the first point of contact for the prospect once we're going, you know, beyond the Googling phase, right? When they're actually getting in contact or they're even just browsing LinkedIn, it's sales that, that has the most visibility for them. And you really want sales to be positioned as an expert that can be trusted. And dare I say, like a thought leader or, or an influencer, let's say. And, but so, so putting that content on the profile, that sounds like a marketing job, right? Creating content is usually a marketing job, but many times maybe sales is better positioned to make that content, yeah. or there needs to be a collaboration between marketing and sales or even product marketing and sales as well. Yeah. So for example, well, sorry to interrupt, but you're hundred yeah. percent spot on, especially in our yeah. case, because in consulting you have, we literally call them seller doers, right? The consultants are selling it, but also do the work, meaning yeah. they are the experts. I'm yeah. not sure whether or not they yeah. are sales thought leaders, sorry, but they are the experts who actually can deliver the work. So yeah, that the model makes 100% make sense. Then very practically, maybe you're really good at sales and really good at product if you're a doer seller, seller, but you might still suck at content. So then one possible avenue within your ABM team, let's say, would be that you send voice messages to the marketer saying, hey, I had this really interesting thought based on this conversation I had with a client. Can you write something about this? Right. Thank and you. so, yeah. and then we're getting into this space. It's like, okay, are we doing, who's the, is this marketing or sales? You know, I don't know. So, so I, I just put it together. Like to put it, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. So, so I think that's relevant, but then if I would think about the steps that you need in order to implement ABM is you always, the first thing that you need to do is you have to understand your most profitable segment. Yeah. Right. So. So, and that is usually more specific than an industry. Like it's more, it's usually like a, a very small part of an industry, a, a, a small vertical, like it's probably not going to be manufacturing, but it might be F CPG manufacturing or something, right? Like, which yeah. is still pretty vague, honestly, it could be actually food and beverages or whatever. So usually, and it's not just food and beverages, but it's in a specific country at a specific headcount at a specific whatever qualification criteria that you might find out. For example, if you're selling a localization service, let's say, then you will need a company that has offices across the globe, but speaking different kind of languages, right? So you need to look at your total CRM and find your best customers and see how you can divide them in a way that makes sense. And then take from that qualification criteria, which is the first step of your ICP. So we like to ICP, ideal customer profile. Yeah. We like to think about that as having three parts. First, the qualification criteria, which also involves tiering them, right? So mm -hmm. even within a segment, usually 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of the customers. So what do those mm -hmm. have in common? And how do you divide them from the customers that are going to make you less revenue? So next to qualification criteria, we also have the messaging, which is a lot about what, is the, what are the goals and the challenges and the buying criteria of this particular yeah. ICP. And then the last part of the ICP is the buying committee, right? So, and that, that's something that, that you seem to enjoy earlier, but mapping out the buying committee is very important. A really practical exercise for that is to go through. So if you find, found your best customers, you go mm -hmm. through every kind of touch point that you had with them, who reached out to us, who was there in the first meeting, who was there, uh, who signed the actual contracts, who was in the first meeting that you have when the consultancy track has started. Who's, you, who's, the, who's going to use the end solution that you're building? Who's in yeah. CC on all the emails, but you never heard of them? 
who's asking annoying questions, right? So you need to map all of these yeah, things yeah, out. Yeah. Who's the champion who is blocking all the time? These types of things, right? Or well, who, who's making what objections, these things, yeah. Yeah, you need to map mm -hmm. this out and then you will usually be able to place them into categories. And then later on, when you go into your actual ABM implementation, that's when you can do like, oh, Florian, you're, do, you're doing the marketing, the business buyer, and Ash, you're doing the technical buyer. You can only do that if in the early steps, yeah. you've managed to map out the buying committee. And then if you're not a seller doer marketer, <laughs> but even then you need to interview your customers and enrich all these insights. So you have a good idea about the ICP, et cetera, but now you have to actually have to talk to them and say, hey, we think that this is a really big challenge for companies like yours. Is this true? And oftentimes they'll say no. And it's really weird <laughs> because you've spent like hours researching it. And then they're like, oh, no, I actually don't care about that at all. It's very common. And then after you get all these insights, it's time to make a buyer journey. Yeah. So the buyer journey, what people get wrong about that is, is so people think that a buyer journey is, okay, so they filled in the demo request. And then the first thing we do is a discovery call that we do a technical analysis that we have a proposal call and then we sign the document or whatever your sales pipeline. Yeah, is. Yeah. That's not a buyer journey. That's, that's yeah. the, hardly even has anything to, there's almost nothing to do with it. I mean, it has something to do with buyer journey, but in a very weird way, because the the sales process. Yeah. that's your yeah. sales process, exactly. yeah. your rudimentary sales process. It's not the buying journey, right? It's exactly. what you think you yeah. do on your end, but that's not the question here. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so the buyer journey is really like, okay, they're, you know, they're sit, they're doing their job and they have some sort of a goal that they might've decided or somebody above them decided. And then they run into a challenge and then they start researching. What does this challenge look like? Why am I having it? What are potential solution categories within which category is the best one within the category? what will be the best match for me? And then they look at vendors, right? And a lot of this buying journey is happening in like some obscure Slack group that you've never heard of or yeah. a group chat with somebody that they studied with or on LinkedIn or whatever. And they're going through this whole journey. And it's really logical sequence from goal to challenge to solution when you map it out, but it doesn't mean it happens chronologically. And, but uh, can, I, to do can that. I just say yeah. thank you for that? Because yeah. I'm tired of There's a lot of hate for the funnel and Analyst firms, I shall remain unnamed, put out these spaghetti blobs of super complex buying journeys and 15 page articles on why the funnel isn't helpful. But I still like the funnel because I fully agree with what you just said. It's still, by and large, a linear sequence of phases. Sure, I go back and forth and I do different things and I talk to my boss. But yeah, I still, at some point in time, I will do discovery and at some point in time i will have to build i don't know alignment and then i have to make it as do you know what i mean like so the overall logical structure of the funnel i think is still helpful when you plan marketing activities just wanting to shout that out there i anyways yeah so, so, so i mean so the actions that they take aren't necessarily chronological and they go yeah. in all kinds of different directions but they that, go up and down but in my but people. i don't know if you agree but i feel like the funnel never implied that it just said look exactly. it's helpful to think about it and yes. you need some kind of model to get organized so yes. why not think about it in that sequence and yeah, yeah of course exactly. they enter wherever or go back and forth but you have to have your plan for each of the stages in place i think that's also the point you were driving to right is if they are in this stage what do we offer them? How do we help them? What can we give to them? Ultimately, they have to tackle the problems and the solutions, right? Yeah. And they have goals and we need to make an estimation. But that doesn't, but what people then think is, oh, I will just make an email sequence. I'll have 12 emails. And the first one is about the goal. <laughs> and the last one is about our pricing, yeah. <laughs> right? So, so that is, but so how I like to use the buyer journey 
is as a backlog for content creation. And then I will have a general idea of, I want the top of the funnel to be top and middle of the funnel content in general to be on LinkedIn, let's say. And then I want the bottom of the funnel content maybe to be in webinars or my content hubs or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, it, but you need to have some idea about the buyer journey because otherwise you can never make a good content strategy. The worst thing you can do is just do keyword research and start blasting out random posts. Like that doesn't yeah. help at all. Fully agree. And but I really like your point about having to call people and uh, like your point about yeah. often the presumptions or assumptions are wrong or the hypothesis, even if you did your research. That's why I think that's really critical because you never know. And even if you were part of the, that's a mistake I made. Like I thought I knew this stuff because I had been part of the target audience in my past at once, but yeah. you can't make any assumptions actually. Many of the mm-hmm. cases you will be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's the challenging questions that you remember and that are interesting to you, but those are not the ones that they're lying awake about, right? So, so you might be thinking about like monoliths, a different kind of architecture or whatever. And yeah, that might yeah. be like a small question that they have in the end, but their first yeah. question was something like, what is the cloud or <laughs> why should I yeah, or- put anything on the clouds? Right, like that's a good point because I discussed that while I was in London. Actually, I just made this very point. I said it's easy for us experts to jump to the root cause issue of the problem. When I ask consultants, what's the pain point? And I say, oh, that's because the client has all their data in silos and there is no integration layer. And then I say, nobody goes into the office in the morning saying, damn, all my data is in silos and I don't have an integration layer. (laughs) They also don't have meetings about this. What they do say is, Oh, Jesus, I got to block two days this week because the quarterly report is due and it takes me two days to compile. That's yeah. the experience pain point. And then, of course, the expert knows the underlying issues, data integration. But talking about that yes. is not helpful at the very outset of things because you've got to speak to the pain. And it's dangerous to make assumptions about the, like you said, you yes. have to research. Yep. And even the consultants yeah. don't know, even if you sometimes ask them, okay, cool, they hired you for the data integration layer thing. But why did they call you in the first place? And then they yeah. say, well, because they needed a data integration. Say, yeah, but what made them realize they need a data integration layer? What was the what, what did they bump up against? And often they don't know, so they have to go back and ask. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. So that was the buying journey and the stages, yeah. right? Or the funnel. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. To recap, the people that are currently like on a treadmill or something. So the first steps are, you know, like identify most prof- profitable segments, create the ICP which includes qualification criteria, messaging, and a buying committee. Step three mm-hmm. would then be interview to enrich everything. Step four would be to map out the buyer journey based on all these insights that you have. And that's where we move into more specific ABM territory, right? So this is all, all right. run-of-the-mill, go-to-market strategy. Oh, actually, sorry, the fifth step that I actually didn't write down. So based on this, you will need to craft your general positioning and value proposition. Or, yeah, yeah no, I think it's good to have as a step five to... Uh, and then step six is you actually start building your list. And the biggest mistake people make for the list building, I might've mentioned it earlier, is you just make this wish list, but yeah. really you need to make it, first of all, based on the qualification criteria, which are mapped onto your most profitable customers that, we, that, that, you, yeah. that you analyzed. But also it needs to be connected to some sort of an engagement or intent data, ideally. So that could be, there's like, an infinite amount of examples of this, but like some very common ones are, has this company been on our website for, did they spend like 10 minutes there or did they spend one minute? 
that they look at maybe my pricing page, how much that, that they spend some time on the blog. You can find it out if you have like something like have a HubSpot for a cookie intent, but you could also do IP identification with a tool like Alpacross or Leadfeeder. Uh, but also great sources of intent are like, you know, what are the PR statements that they're making? For example, if you sell some kind of an HR tool and you might be looking out for people, for companies that maybe do some, I don't know, public statements about inclusivity or something like that, or some kind of people initiatives. Yeah. Uh, also, you can listen to podcasts that people from that company are in. You have also like what's it called rocks and gold that allows you to see what roles people, companies are hiring for. So there might yeah. be an issue that they're hiring for. There's so many sources of intent data and you need to decide for yourself which ones are important. And then you need to layer that out onto that onto your list building. And so, so what I like to look out and I, I, there's this acronym FIRE. I stole it from, we had, I forgot his name now. I want to say Miller from the man base. He was at our, at the summit and he used this fire acronym that I really liked. Actually, now I have to think about what the, so yeah, yeah. Fit with the ICP intent is that I, the R is the relationship. Like, do you have a past relationship with this customer or not? Or do you know people there? And the E is the engagement, right? So and when you're making yeah. your ABM list, you need to be looking for those four things and make sure that all of them are there. It's so, so crucial because you can spend months working an account that you could have figured out in a five minute Google that they will never buy from you. For example, I had a really nice example that I had at my previous job is we had a sales guy chase a specific company for two months, like calling him, messaging him, writing custom contents. And then my boss said, yeah, but there's a case study on our number one competitor's website about a project that they did together and they had super good ROI. So there's no way they're going to switch yeah. switch vendors after you after this case study went live, right? So, so you could have figured that out, right? If you just need write the name of the, yeah. the account and I add case to, the, to it in Google, you would have found that. So those kind of qualification criteria and intent data is very important. And that allows you to make like a list of 30 accounts, yeah. but each one of those accounts, you have a real shot as opposed to having a hundred accounts and you don't even remember who's on your list and they don't know who you are, et cetera. Like it's just a nightmare. And, and it... the, the acronym is really cool because on the relationship part, right? I think with tools, even if you have no sophisticated software, just with LinkedIn alone and the connection graphs you can get there, right? A lot of that stuff has become very practical, even for small teams. You could build these criteria and find or filter your initial list against them to find some. A question though, yes. maybe again on the relationship point, like if I, so I built the criteria, I've made the list, but then there's maybe there's two or three or four accounts I think are cool or whatever, and they're missing one or two letters in the acronym. It's, mm. Is that still reasonable to say, okay, let's try and see if we can establish a relationship or, is, or do, would you say it's a distraction, focus on the best fit list and start there? I mean, you know, maybe you your company's quite young and there's no way that you can find companies that fit all of those criteria, for example, yeah. or you don't have a strong demand gen function. So, so there's, you don't have any engagement to go off, or maybe you didn't implement any kind of engagement tracking. Then of course you can, <laughs> you do, you, you make do like uh, Vladimir always says, it's the art of the possible. You make do with whatever it is that you have. Yeah. But I think, I mean, especially like relationship and engagement, if you don't have a strong, if you're a young company or you don't have a strong demand gen function, it will be difficult but you might still know some people, but you can still do quite a lot of research. I always like to think about the qualification criteria 
it's on a spectrum and I just make it very easy. It's easy to Google stuff on the one hand and impossible to Google stuff on the other hand. Right? You want to just, if you have less of your own first party data, you want to get as far as you can in the pre Google stuff and select based on that. So, you know, maybe you need to re read some press statements. Sure. It's, I don't like to do it, but maybe you have to, maybe you have to buy a sales navigator and see if they had new hires in, in your yeah. domain. If you have some kind of recruiting solution, maybe you need to find a company that has this employee churn or whatever. It's quite a lot that you can find. Uh, but in the end, you will have to just work with whatever data it is that you can. So, so I mean, I, I will, yeah. Sorry, but serious note here, people, but the LinkedIn sales navigator is what, like 80 bucks a month or something? Yeah. If you average consulting ticket of like 75 grand for the discovery offering alone, you can afford yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I do speak to, to practice leaders who say who close deals in close to six figures as the initial engagement. And they're like, oh, but that's like what? <laughs> that's like 600 yeah. euros for marketing a year. I'm not spending that. I, it doesn't make sense. But anyways, that's a side comment on, on the software. Yeah. I mean, thing. that's just a cost center thing that, you know, most people go for. But I, I, yeah, I think yeah. they haven't heard explained the power of it in a context like, like Steph just did, yeah, right? they just think it's another tool yeah. of irrelevance, which it is. But also, minutes, right? calculate the cost of chasing a account for six months that's not interested. Yeah, that's expensive yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> you know how it is, right? Hard cash out is always what people see. Making the cost avoidance argument is always a bit of a bit more of a tricky pitch. But anyways, I mean, we, yeah, yeah. we've just that's made the... it here, so it's good. Okay. So now we have the list, right? We were very disciplined in it. Small number. We know who we're getting after. And now it's time to assemble the team and make your plan. Is that it? Yes. Or, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think assembling the team also a very important part of it. I actually, it's good that you mentioned this. I like to assemble the team before, right after the revenue analysis. When you have an mm -hmm. idea about the segment, it's time to assemble the team because usually you will have some sales in the companies that we work with. There will usually be a salesperson with specific expertise in a vertical. And if you have a marketer with specific expertise in a vertical, that's also great. But it's more important that you have a salesperson with vertical experience. And so at that point, I like to have them in the team already so that they give their input on the ICP and the buyer journey, et cetera. I should have mentioned that earlier. So I'm very happy that you right. brought that up. So after you have your list, it's time to... So oftentimes it's also good then to refine your messaging specifically for the list so that you have a little bit of a better idea what you're going to pitch or mm -hmm. just how to position yourself for them. Because it's oftentimes, especially for consultancies, the consultancies, they will often feel that they can basically help anybody with anything, which is tricky. Yeah. But the buyer doesn't see themselves as anything, right? They see themselves as I'm in this industry and their buying behavior will be very connected to the industry that they're in. They might have different roles at, around the table, different buying committee roles, different budgets, looking in different geographies, uh, talk about different kind of challenges. And so, so it's very important that at that point, especially in the consultancy firms that you decide what is going to be our core offer or yeah. core positioning for this audience. And then it's time to start putting together an ABM plan where what I, what we usually want to, what I would usually recommend is you implement one ABM warm-up play, which will, will usually be some kind of content collaboration, a social selling routine, 
So like doing all kinds of stuff on LinkedIn or if they're on another platform, it could be like Slack or something as well. And then build some sort of an activation play. So that is about turning an account that's warmed up, that knows, likes, and trusts you. And you've got very specific intent for a specific use case and then turning that into a real sales conversation. So you want to install yeah. those three layers. And then if it's your first time implementing ABM, you want to shape that in the cheapest possible pilots you can make mm-hmm. that, that you know you can, that you can do, but with, with a good amount of FTE behind it. So, so usually for sales, maybe a, zero, a half, a 0.5 FTE and the marketing mm-hmm. also at least 0.5 FTE. And if content is separate, also like 0.3, as for just a pilot, at least for three months, folk and promise, making promises mostly on leading indicators rather than lagging indicators. And so then you want to have all three of those plays planned in with the warm-up and the social selling being in parallel and the activation being lagging because you first need to capture the intent with the other two methods. And so, so that I... So, so, so those would be the steps that I would recommend to start implementing ABM. It's quite a lot, but... But, but I like it's very, because it's very practical, right? So yeah, to, to yeah. just because you said it or like maybe duplicating, repeating it. So the warm-up play you said is often a content collaboration effort. So it could be yes. an interview, podcast, case study, maybe inviting yes. them to some sort of research, right? Whatever it is. That... Yes, exactly. Those are the exact examples I would give. Yeah. And then social selling, it's... I'm guessing you're not recommending a hard like co- connection request and then pitch slap approach, but it's more like if people engage or in, they respond to the warm up, then you go in on social, maybe offer a link to a content hub or, what, 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 or maybe do you have an example like, for the social selling part. Would you think it's like having a conversation with them? Like you make, a, say you've got like a piece of thought leadership or something like that, and you invite someone to have the discussion there and then you take them to the link, something like that. So the way I like to think about it is that you have a couple of habits that you need mm. and they will mostly involve around, how should I say? So, so they will not be salesy or transactional for the most mm. part. So there's not much focus on generating a call unless you are in the context of the warm-up play or if you have really captured good intent. Yeah. So, so a routine would look like send 20 personalized connection requests per week to my four core audiences, which could, would be ICP, thought leaders, engagers, so people engaging in the communities and some kind of a media or event host. Like oh, a okay, good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it would be put, I'm just saying something, 10 thoughtful comments where just adding extra value to somebody else's post, which also serves as content. And then it would be post three pieces of content optimized for native consumption related to your buyer journey. And then maybe do 10, what we call non-sales touches, which would be something like, oh, I saw you liked my post about the story I did, here's actually yeah. the full article or some more details. Like there's yeah. no pitch there. But you just say, hey, would you like to know more about this? I can send you an article. And I also like, I'm a big fan of the permission-based marketing there. So we will not usually just send a link, but we will say, hey, thank you for supporting my post about 
this case study, there's actually a full case study on the website. Would you like to see it? Right. Yeah. And then nice. that goes back into our engagement and, and, and intent capturing, yeah. which we set up on step four. And so then that can help you prioritize an account. And then, and I guess so. It's what you seem to be saying is the social selling part is not about selling. So, like you said, it's not transactional. It's not even yeah. aiming for some conversion. It's about establishing routines that build your network over time online, right? So you grow the audience. I'm guessing that then makes it easy. Makes it that helps the other steps you're implementing. Is that what that yeah. refer? But what you will notice is that it will very soon lead to opportunities for intent-based outreach. Yeah, sure. So where you can actually mention a specific use case, but be highly relevant and still be proactive about turning it into a sales conversation. Yeah. And you will also notice that by building the relationships, it's very easy to uncover, let's say, latent intent, like 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 undercover challenges. I really need a more corporate word for this, but there will be some need that you can that comes up organically that they will actually talk to you, right? They'll say, oh, I mean, uh, yeah. It's just you reaching out, like you said, sending connection requests, right? The way this will work is people check out your LinkedIn profile if they haven't heard from you and you on yours say pretty clearly what you do, what you stand for. So if yeah. they say yes, I'm not saying this is latent intent, but obviously whatever it is you do is not completely not a fit for them, right? So I think... It's sort of a self-qualification yeah. process. The more steps they accept, the more stuff they engage in, the more likely it is. That actually, there's a reason for that. Otherwise, they would have just yes. ignored it or said no very early on, right? Yeah. But there's also... No, it's interesting. Yeah. Also, another great example would be, let's say, as she said something that sounded very smart before we, we started recording about like AI being an efficiency... Yeah, it's an efficiency engine. engine. Yeah, efficiency yeah, yeah. Layer. yeah. So yeah. so let's say you put a poll on your LinkedIn and you would say, do you see AI as A, an efficiency layer, B, what, an AI layer or whatever layer, right? So you yeah. just make a poll, but based on their answers, you have a pretty good idea about what their challenge is. Or it could be saying like, oh, where are you currently integrating generative AI? Nowhere, yeah. I'm using it on the efficiency yeah. layer, I'm using it there. And that is by voting on that, you can have a pretty good idea that there is actually a need and then you can reach out to them and you can say, Hey, here's actually a case study of us using generative AI as an efficiency layer. Would you like to see it? And yeah. by, that, by them giving the permission and reading that blog, because then you can see on Albacross or whatever, or they spend 30 minutes reading, this will you know, give you ammunition to keep following up with them, but it also dramatically increases the chances of them asking you, Hey, can you explain me? a little bit more about this concept because I, I don't, I didn't really get it or whatever. Right. So, so there's a really, I just want to really emphasize that while it's not transactional, there's a very proactive edge yeah. to it rather than waiting, rather than posting and then sitting there. Okay. I hope I get some leads now. Right. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Said, that is, that's the mistake, right? That is yeah. the mistake people make. I, two weeks ago, I had a conversation with a consultancy. They had, they told me they had been blogging for three years. And this is a direct quote, nothing ever came of it, which might be a little bit of a function of their tracking stuff also, because that was, but the general feeling was 
it's not doing anything and i was like so so why yeah i mean <laughs> why did you keep it up for three years anyway it, it's not just that um, it's like if it's a blogging thing they need to make it conversational it's just one-way traffic is one-way traffic and just mm. as you were saying stuff a lot of things is relationship building and as a key element of that is trust because that's yeah, and, where you and, get everything Come and in. you have to be intentional about the pull through, which is, I think, yeah. what you're describing is, right? There is a process behind it. And we are, we have a certain idea of once you engage with a couple of blog posts, what happens next, yeah. as yeah. opposed to yeah. just putting helpful posts up with limited connection back to the business. And then, you know, what does it do for the pipeline? Well, nothing, because you have not connected right. the blogging effort effectively yeah. to the sales yeah. process. But somebody like, let's say, very good example, where you talk about the blogging. So what if somebody's re if I must, let's assume that people are actually reading the blog but they're not filling in demo requests or whatever yeah about mm -hmm. they're not reaching out yeah it could be that the blog is working to generate demand but it's not being captured so installing something like an albacross that allows you to see which companies are on your blog could then allow them to use this blog as a way of prioritizing one account over another and, yeah. and that's yes. mission layer yeah. Yeah, which I, I won't disclose what the answer was, but that's true. That's very, that can, is very realistically the case that it's not the content that's bad. It's yeah. the missing next <laughs> step or whatever you do with the engagement, right? That's the glitch. Last there. week. And it's, people will not read one blog post and sign up with their email and then you have them. That's not how um, it usually works. It, yeah. yeah. Th this morning I got a Slack notification. We had installed Albacross for one of the clients. And so far, we've uncovered that Disney is on their website, Netflix is on their website, like for long periods of time. So it was Disney, Netflix, Facebook, like like just like all the big accounts that they were like, oh, we could never get them. They're spending like hours on their websites, but they never fill in a demo or something. But then we prioritized them and we actually got some in-office meetings with those really big, like actually with, a, with another company that I'm not going to mention, but... Like this layer of adding the intent data to it to for your list building, it just changes everything. Which I realize we, we're coming up against time. So so I want to yeah. close out, but oh, yeah. make Sorry. this my last question because you mentioned it. Mm -hmm. These software tools, how, would you, I know you said are if possible and it's not critical. You can start without them, but would you recommend to have some of that intent data tracking, for example, implemented rather sooner than later, let's say? Yes. Actually, so so on Good, my LinkedIn, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so on my LinkedIn, I made a post about how to set something up in HubSpot, which is the most yeah. common marketing automation now. But if you look at it, if you have let's say time but not money, you could use something like like just Notion and do it manually as well. Yeah. So so for my number one ABM stack, it is just Notion. I like or you could even yes. do it in, in Google Sheets if you wanted to. And many, very, so, so most important intent data for me is something like lead feeder or albacross, which is like 80 euros a month and probably cheaper, but also just literally who's looking at my LinkedIn profile and who's liking my posts. And that you can, that is just looking at it, right? Also, let's say, I think this is a really nice insight as a last one is this is something I learned from Vladimir. He told me, I asked him what the best intent data source is and he says, the best intent data is if you interview somebody on a podcast and they say that they have a problem that you can solve. So, so, so it's like, you, you're thinking like, oh, I need to do all this shit, but actually, you know what, if we can have a podcast 
and I and and before the podcast, I can ask you. Oh, by the way, how are you guys using generative AI? And they're like, Oh, I wish we were using it as an efficiency layer or something, right? That is the yeah. best data you're ever gonna get, and it costs you absolutely nothing. It's funny how. Fifty or whatever years into the digitalization of everything, just talking to people still goes yeah. a long way. You will never get anything better than this, I promise. Yeah, I mean that is a very lovely place, I think, to end it and to wrap yeah. it up. So I want to thank you, Stefan, for hopping on. Is there any point online we should point people to? You're very active on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. Anything else? Yeah, it would be great if people could check me out on LinkedIn. Or, I mean, I think. You could just check for funnel.io and especially because we have really in-depth free blog articles about, for example, the LinkedIn, ABM on LinkedIn, what we touched now superficially, well, not superficially, but it, shortly, there's super long in-depth guides that basically teach you the step-by-step for LinkedIn, also for go-to-market strategy. I think we have some ABM there as well. So I would just say, check out the blog to educate yourself. And then I'll see you in Albacross. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And we'll put the link in the we'll put yeah. the link in the show notes show and you notes. can give us a UTM tag for it if you need one. The just one thing I took a note because you mentioned you were writing some report. Is that something that's coming out soon or is that further? Yes, I'm working on a market research report. My my deadline to finish it was in, in April, but <laughs> Andrea Vladimir have graciously so, fired me. But I will I, I, I really want to finish it. I'm all, now I'm pretty much done, so I really want to finish it by Monday. So all right. So, yes. so watch this space, as they say. Brilliant. So we will put a link. Like the, by the time this comes out, it should be available. Then I don't know. Yes. If you have a link, send it. We'll put it in the show notes as well. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. Yes. Thank you. That was awesome. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for joining us, Steph. Yeah. And I'll stop the recording here and everybody can have a nice weekend eventually. When they get to it. We're recording on a Thursday, uh, somewhat unusually, but still, have a nice weekend. I don't work tomorrow, so... Nice. (laughs) Okay. Speak soon, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Unbillable Hours. If you want more, tune in next week. You know where to find us. 